Are you a Christian or a disciple? Uh, this morning, before we get started, I want to just acknowledge that uh, uh, Cody led our worship today. Pastor Ryan and his family are on a vacation, and so we're always happy when Cody steps in and, and leads worship for us. Um, I'd like to uh, bottle that energy that he has and uh, uh, have, a, have a sip myself, but uh, just want to thank him for his, uh, his leading our worship today. So, Christian or disciple? Uh, I want to always begin by giving you uh, just kind of a uh, review of what we've been talking about uh, so that uh, those of you who are new can catch up. And uh, so here's the premise of this series of messages. Um, Asking the question, are you a Christian or a disciple? Here's why that's an important question. The word Christian is never defined in the Bible. It's only used three times, and the three times it's used is in a derogatory way. Oh, you Christians, you know, like that. So therefore, Christians over the years, and all of its derivatives, Christianity, Christendom, um, has been defined by people based on what they think it should be. So somebody might say, well, a Christian is somebody who believes in God. That makes you a Christian. Or somebody who believes in Jesus. Or somebody who was raised in the United States of America. Or someone who does good deeds. I mean, it can be defined any way you want. So it's very broad. And uh, that's why you can be on either side of a political argument, either side of an economic situation, either side of uh, a relationship argument. You can be on any side you want because you can define it any way you want. But the word that Jesus used was disciple. And disciple has a very narrow, very specific meaning. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Now, what it means to follow Jesus, again, is very narrow. It means that I, as a follower of Christ, I want to act like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus. I want to behave like Jesus. I want to speak like Jesus. That's what a follower does. So a follower of Christ would say something like this, uh, if you're praying. So let's say you've got a dilemma about a relationship or a financial dilemma, or you don't know which, which way to go in your future with your job, any number of things, but you have a, something very important. And as a disciple of Jesus, you want to find out what Jesus would do, right? And so you, in your prayers, would ask him, Lord Jesus, I, I, in this relationship, I'm not quite what to, sure what to do. Should I do this or should I do that? And, um, or this financial issue, I'm not sure how to spend my money. And you have all of these uh, questions. And you're asking Christ to help you. And by the way, he speaks to us mostly through his word. So you've, you've got that. Uh, he speaks to us through his word. And so even as you're asking this question, and before Jesus can even answer you, your answer to him is this. Uh, yes. Whatever you ask me to do, stay in this relationship, get out of this relationship, love my enemy, whatever difficult, hard thing you ask me to do, whatever you impress on me to do, I will do it. My answer is always going to be yes, because I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's the very narrow definition of a disciple. And so we're asking you these days to consider what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, rather than just a Christian. So, uh, we're getting to the end of Jesus' life. It's just a few days before he's crucified and resurrected. And uh, he gathers with his disciples in the upper room. It's called the Last Supper. And as he does, um, he asks the boys, he said, boys kind of, you know, press in a little bit. 
you know, uh, lean forward. Uh, what, I, what I'm going to tell you now is the most important thing I've told you uh, all of my ministry and the most important thing I'm ever going to tell you. What I'm, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what a disciple is and how a disciple behaves. And so they're listening, right? So they're thinking, okay, is this where we get to pull our swords, paint our faces blue? Is this where we get to take over Rome? What are we going to do? You know, this is exciting. We're going to find out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus, lean forward. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to don't make, make no mistakes about this. And Jesus said, here's what it means to be a disciple. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And I'm sure Peter said, huh, is that it? That's the best you got, you know? He said, listen, if, if you forget everything else I told you, forget all the doctrine, forget all the theology, as important as that is, forget all of the things, the political stuff that you're around, forget all of the persecution you're under. If you forget all of those things, I want you to remember one thing. This is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who loves each other the way that Jesus loved you. And a disciple is someone who loves the world or people outside the church the same way that Jesus loved them. And so last week we asked the question, okay, what does that look like? What does it look like to love people the way that Jesus loved? And we discovered that he kind of identified that, that, that the way of doing uh, love uh, or the way of doing that life of discipleship in John chapter 1. So we read John chapter 1 last week, verse 14, and this is what Jesus said, or what uh, John said. The word that was Jesus became flesh, Christ was God in a body. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us, three years. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And what was he full of? Full of grace and truth. Not full of um, um, excitement and doctrine. Uh, not full of uh, rules and regulations and the way you should do things. But full of grace and truth. And then last week we talked about what it looks like to be full of grace and truth. Because if the way Jesus loved was with full, being full of grace and truth, that's the way we have to love. So uh, we looked at the text. And by the way, a little bit later we're going to be looking at a very important text in the Bible, Luke chapter 15. So you can earmark that if you were going to go to there in just a few moments. But that's the passage you'll be looking at. So Jesus loved with grace and truth. So how do you define grace and truth? Well, grace is warm and fuzzy. We, we all love grace. I mean, how many of you sing the song, uh, Amazing Truth? You know, we, we don't sing that. You know, we sing Amazing Grace, you know, because it's how sweet the sound. Uh, truth is not so sweet sometimes. And so uh, we love that. So uh, a, a grace is a forgiveness, reconciliation, you're okay, let's hug it out. Okay, that's grace. And we all love that. You know, we love all this good stuff. Okay, truth is being held accountable. Woman, woman in adultery, experience grace and truth. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Grace and truth. And, and so truth is being held accountable and consequences. And now the reason that this matters, the reason that truth matters so much, and the reason Jesus didn't say, here's the truth, so that you will stumble, and he could say, I, I told you so. Uh, Jesus tells us that there's things that we need to live our, how we need to live our lives. There's ways that we need to live our lives because at the end of every sin, there is a gotcha. Every time you sin, every time you break God's law, every time you do the wrong thing and you know what I'm talking about, you've all experienced that. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every time you've sinned, you realize at the end of that sin, there is a gotcha. And what Jesus is trying to tell you is, listen, you have this truth, 
you have this law, you have this way of doing things because I don't want you to experience the gotcha. I want your life to be full and rich and joy-filled. But if you sin and do these other things, you're going to feel the pain and the suffering of gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, we all know exactly what that means. So it is important to have truth, to lift up truth, because at the end of every sin, there is a gotcha. So that's grace and truth. Now, uh, we all grew up in different families, right? Uh, some of you grew up, in my family, my dad was truth, my mom was grace, okay? So if, if I wanted, uh, you know, to learn about football, I'd go to my dad. If I wanted uh, somebody to feel sorry for me, I'd go to my mom. Grace and truth. And uh, some of you had the opposite experience. Your, your father was the grace guy, right? I talked to somebody yesterday and said, no, in my family, I'm the grace guy and my wife is the truth. And, and so we all have different measures of grace and truths. And here's why it matters that we keep that tension. Don't be too far over here with truth, and don't be too far over here with grace. Here's why it matters. In your family, if you were raised in a purely grace family, no truth, uh, your clothes never match. I mean, you know, let's be honest. You know, you, because, you know, your parents don't care what you wear. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter what you do. Your clothes never match. And if you're raised in an only truth family, you know, you become this... Um, um, you just become this kind of uh, angry person that is condemning, uh, this kind of obsessive-compulsive condemner, you might say. So only truth, you become this condemner. Only grace, your clothes never match. So we want to find a balance in there. Now, this goes for the same uh, in families. It goes for individuals. And we can be very honest about this. Uh, all of us, when it comes to our sin and our brokenness, we want lots of what? Grace. Grace. But you don't understand. Let me explain my circumstance. Let me explain my X factor. The reason I behaved like that is because I did, you know, so we have all of these, and we want everybody to give us grace. Give me a second chance. Cut me some slack. You know, don't judge me. We want all of that grace. But when it comes to our looking at other people's lives, we like to dispense truth. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You ought not to do that. God's going to be mad if you do that. Uh, that's a sin. You know, we love to give truth to other people, but we love to receive grace ourselves. We have to find what Jesus experienced, and what Jesus experienced was not 50-50. He did not experience half grace and half truth. The Bible said that he experienced fullness of grace and truth, which means grace overbounding, overflowing, and truth overbounding, overflowing. You're full of grace and truth. And when you find your life in that situation, it's the place to be. But I'll tell you what, there's tension there. There's tension there. Okay, when, when, when do I do the, the truth thing again? And, and I, when do I do the grace thing? I'm, I'm confused and, and we know that. But here's the deal. Jesus was full of grace and truth and he lived in that tension. Paul lived in that tension. John lived in that tension. James lived in that tension. Peter lived in that tension. Each one of them knew that it was never just law or truth, and it was never just grace, but being full of grace and truth. So that's, what we've, that's kind of a review of where we've been these uh, last few weeks. And uh, so now Jesus comes, and we're going to look at Luke 15, this amazing passage of Scripture. Many of you know it very well. And today I'm going to ask you to come at this text from a different perspective. Okay, now the text is uh, Luke 15, the first half of the chapter, and we'll be looking at three stories that you're familiar with. Lost sheep, 
lost coin, lost son, right? The three stories we're pretty much all familiar with. Well, here's the perspective I want you to look from. Usually we look at that as a hearer, and we're hearing, okay, what is it saying to me? What am I? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be Jesus' audience the day that he spoke it. I want you to be in the audience, okay, hearing what he's saying for the first time. Maybe not understanding anything about grace and truth, but I want you to be hearing what he's saying. So let's take a look at his audience. This is great. So there were two groups of people there. Uh, the first group of people were the... Um, Tax collectors and sinners. Now, the tax collectors, as we know, we've, this is a review, the tax collectors were the wealthy people who collected money, taxes for the Roman government, but they would over-collect, right, from poor people. So they take all this money from the Jewish people as well as the Roman citizens. These are Jews that were these tax collectors. And they would give Rome their share and they would keep the rest. They would pocket the rest. So they were always looking for more taxes and they were despicable. Uh, they were the drug dealers of their day. They were the guys that when there was a meeting with Jesus, they drove up in their tricked, out, tricked up escalades and, uh, you know, they, they were cool. They had the cool clothes on and the bling and all that. So they, that was the tax collectors. So that's these guys, okay? And then a, a part of that group uh, is also then the sinners, the sinners were everybody else, you know, that wasn't religious. The sinners were the, um, the people that were caught in crimes, the adulterers, the people that were unfaithful, the people that were liars, the people that uh, ran stop signs, and like some of you, and the people who did all these bad things, and these were the immoral people, the people that didn't have their, their true north correct, the people that were kind of despicable, and they were the sinners. So there's two groups of people. And uh, that's, uh, that's that one group of people. The other group of people are the religious people, okay? And they're the ones that are pious, the ones that go to church, uh, the ones that give their money, the ones that uh, read the Torah, the Bible. They're the ones that are religious. So there's the two groups of people. Let's, let's look at what this looks like. So uh, the first two verses of chapter 15 of Luke. By the way, at this point, I want to tell you what? Read your Bibles. Unbelievable what you'll find there. And you're going to find some amazing truth today in Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Period. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's the setting. It, let, let's say they're in a tavern. We don't know where they were. But they were in a tavern or they could have been in, you know, some place in the outside. But what's interesting about this text, and you hear it there, is that Jesus is standing there and gathered around him, close by him, are the tax collectors and the sinners. They're the one pushing up against him. They're, they're the ones crowding in around him. They're the ones that are leaning in to hear every word he has to say. That, that's the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, I told first service, because first service really, gets, in first service, um, the first seats to go are the back of the church, right? Well, actually, now that I look at it, the same thing with the second service. Uh, but the first rows up here, and I want you guys to hear this from love, from your pastor, you're the sinners and the tax collectors, right? And you know you are, Right? Even you, Karen, I don't, don't look down. You know who I'm talking to. These are the sinners and the tax collectors. And, 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 and you laugh at that, but here's the truth. It's absolutely true. These are the sinners and the tax collectors. Dan and Jessica. Every one of them are the sinners. And here's the deal. They know it. 
And they, they know that their only hope is Jesus and their only hope is grace. They are the sinners. And, and, and the people in the front row are always the ones that want to hear. You know, they don't want to miss a word. You know, they lean forward. You know, if you went to Catholic high, high school girls, you know how to spell and you always want to sit in the front. Okay, they're always wanting to, to lean forward. What is he going to say to me? What is this Jesus going to say uh, to me? And so you have these people. Lead. Now, the other group of people, Sorry, I don't know if that's the case with you guys. I can't see who you are. But the back row are the religious people. Okay, sorry about that. They're the ones back here like this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this. This Jesus guy, I don't know. I've heard some weird things from him. And here, here's another problem that I have as a religious person. Look at the people he's hanging out with. Those sinners those tax collectors, and he's not just hanging out with them, he's eating with them. Now, in the Jewish culture, in the ancient Near East, when you ate with somebody, that was a very intimate act. It was putting yourself out there. It was putting your heart out there. It was putting yourself out there. So Jesus is not just preaching at them. He is hanging out with them. He is eating with them. He is one of them. And so the religious people are back here in the back rows. Sorry about that. Back row. Some of them actually moved up to the front rows. Now, now, we have the back rows and they're saying, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't buy this. I, I don't know what this guy is going to say, but I have a real problem with what's going on here because the ones that really know the Bible, the ones that really have their lives together, you know, we're back here, okay? And so those are the two groups of people that uh, Jesus was talking to. Very, very interesting. And then you have to ask a question, a couple questions. Number one, why did these people up here want to hear what Jesus had to say? I mean, did Jesus not call them out on their sin? Now, we have no record that he did, but we kind of think that he should have. All you people, before we can get down to the grace part, we need to tell you why you're all sinners. But, you know, here's the deal. They already knew they're sinners. Why do you think they're in the front row? Why do you think they were pressing up against Jesus? Because they thought that this guy had something to say that he can't hear from the religious people. That all they do is condemn and say, you guys get your act together. You guys need to get rid of your sin or you're going to hell. You know, that's the back row. That's what, they, that's what the religious people are doing. But this group up here, there's something about Jesus that they're drawn to like a moth to flame. They're, they're drawn to him. There's this, the charisma that he has. The, the, and they don't believe that he's going to sit there and condemn them. And the re, he doesn't need to condemn them. Do you know why? They already feel condemned. They already hate themselves. That's why they're oppressed against Jesus. They're hoping that he's going to tell them something that they've never heard before. And he is. So Jesus, the Pharisees would say, am I hearing that you're not condemning them? Do you condone their activities? Oh, that must be it. Yeah? See, because if, if you're not condemning them, you must be condoning what they do. You must be condoning their lifestyle. You must be condoning the way that they, yeah, that, that must be it. And so we've got a real problem with you. So that's the two groups of people that we find. And then Jesus digs into a story. Now, he is a master teacher. And he addresses the issue of how God feels about sin and sinners. That's what he's talking about here. This is how God feels about sin and sinners. The Pharisees are saying, it's about time. Let's nail those buggers, those sinners, because boom, you know, they need it. We're, we're back here being religious and doing the right thing. We're giving money and stuff. But those sinners, and, and the sinners are up in the front row, and they're saying, maybe he's going to say something that we've never heard before. 
Maybe he's going to say something that we can actually ingest and, and, and feel human again. So, so he's talking about uh, how he feels about sinners and about sin. Okay, that's, that's the context of this passage. So, um, so you've got your righteous people in the back, the people, the sinners pressing up front, trying to hear what he says. And then, uh, and so Jesus said, okay, now, he's thinking, how, what am I going to talk to them about so that they'll listen to me, so that they won't get up and walk out? So he comes up with something that everybody can agree on, right? And everybody can agree on, and you know this, everybody can agree on one thing. What's that? Sheep, right? Okay, we can all agree on sheep. They're cute, they're cuddly, uh, we like lamb chops, you know, we love sheep. So we can agree on sheep. So he, start, he speaks in a parable. A parable is a story of a common physical reality to inform a spiritual reality or emotional topic. Okay, that's what a parable is. So he steps back from the audience, gets a little bit uh, nearer to the sinners, or steps away from the sinners as well as the righteous, and begins uh, with something that they would all agree on. And this is what he says in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Okay, so then he pauses there. And at this point, all of his audience are kind of on board. Okay? We like sheep. There's a lost sheep. Somebody needs to go after the lost sheep. The sinners and the tax collectors, they agree with that. Makes sense, okay? Lost sheep, you go and find your sheep because sheep's worth something, right? Even the Pharisees say, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you got a lost sheep. So they're all kind of on the same page. Everything's good so far. And then Jesus goes on. Verse 5. And when he finds it, the, 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 the little lamb... He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, at this point, the Pharisees are going, why do you do that? The religious people are saying, I don't understand that part. Okay, and the other people down here are going, are you kidding me? Really? He actually loves that lost sheep and starts bringing it back? So they're, they're having these different thoughts. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than one, over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, at this point, there's a disagreement among the two crowds. <laughs> the Pharisees are saying, are you kidding me? I spent my whole lifetime being religious and repenting. I'm always doing the right thing. I'm always doing what good. So why, why are you talking about this? And the people up there are saying, are you serious, Jesus? You mean to tell me that I... I, I have value in such a way that you would literally come after me and you would carry me back to the fold and then on top of that you would rejoice that I've come back? I haven't done any, I haven't done any good deeds to make up for what I did. I haven't gone to rehab. I haven't done anything that I should do to show that I'm really sincerely righteous. I haven't done any of that and you're telling me that somehow, some way, and so there's this division. The people that are pressing, now they're really pressing into Jesus. Now they're really leaning forward. They can't believe what they're hearing and the Pharisees and the religious people are so mad. Why is he talking about this? Why doesn't he talk about accountability and truth and all the things that you need to hammer these people with? And so Jesus goes on. And then he goes on after that and he talks about the coin, the lost coin. And they move furniture and they look everywhere. And then he starts uh, his main message and he talks about the lost son. But in all of these, what he's saying is that he said, did you know, talking to both audiences, did you know that God is more concerned about the lost thing than anything else? 
Did you know that? God is more concerned about the lost thing than anything. Lost things matter. Now, the people down here, front row, some of them starting to have tears in their eyes. But, but you haven't said anything about um, how we're supposed to kind of fix our lives. Uh, you haven't scolded us for our past sins, and there are, there are many, and they are a lot. And, but you're telling us that, that we matter enough for a shepherd, God, to come after me? I, I, can't, I can't hardly believe that. The Pharisees are saying, this, this is not even true. It can't be. They haven't kept the law. They haven't even tried to keep the law. Well, what does it say in Deuteronomy? And, and they're arguing and all of that. And so this is going. And so then Jesus talks about his main story. And then he divides the story into three parts. There's the firstborn son. Now, let's see if we can do this. Uh, uh, how many of you, now the firstborn son or daughter, uh, is almost always in your family the behavior, Right? Firstborn. Now, there's exceptions, but how many of you are that firstborn behavior, your behavior? Okay, we got a lot of you, okay? This side are all behaviors. I can't wait to see what this side is. How many of you are non-behaviors, okay? Non-behaviors, okay. Now, some of you, you have to be something over here. Some of you are saying, I'm nothing. You know, no, you are. You're either a behavior or a non-behavior. And so the firstborn, uh, the uh, older son was the behavior, um, and the younger son was the misbehavior. Now, dad, dad is kind of a weird guy. Um, so the son comes to him. We'll read the story in a minute. Uh, the son comes to him and says, uh, Dad, I, I want my inheritance. And say, so saying, the son was saying, I, uh, Dad, I wish you were dead because that's how I get my inheritance. I wish you were dead. You don't matter to me. You and mom don't matter at all, especially my brother. None of you matter. To me. I just want my inheritance so I can go and live my life. And so... He did, and, um, and at this point, the audience is back on track. The people down here, the sinners, the tax collectors, they're saying, oh man, what a jerk of a son. And some of them are thinking, I, I, I've, I've got a daughter just like that. I, I've got a son just like that. I know what that father's feeling. No wonder he's upset and angry and I, I can't believe he would even do that and give him the money, but he doesn't. I understand. Now, the Pharisees, they're back on track because they say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, probably most of the Pharisees had a son or a daughter like that, right? You know, you've heard the stories about PKs, preacher's kids, you know. Well, it's not true. Uh, uh, the only reason preacher's kids get in trouble is because they hang out with your kids. Uh, that's the reason, you know. So, you know, that's the deal. And, uh, and so, so the, the, these people back here say, yeah, well, we get this. We have a son. We have, we have several kids that are off the tracks, and they're treating us disrespectfully. And so now the audience, the people pressing in, and the ones in the back row are all doing the same thing. Yeah, we, we get this. We understand this. And, and so he tells the story, and, and everybody's offended by what this uh, kid did. And, uh, and then Jesus took the story to the extreme. The boy goes out. He spends his money in riotous living, wine, women, and song. And he finds himself in a pigsty. He was supposed to be uh, mucking out the pigsty and cleaning the pigs, but instead he's so hungry he just plops down and begins to eat what the pigs eat. Now, this, listen, this is a Jewish boy working with pigs and eating what pigs eat. That's the very definition of comeuppance, right? 
the very difference of comeuppance. Now, uh, so what are these two audiences doing? The people down here, the sinners, are saying, oh man, boy, he's, I've, I've been that guy, and I know how awful it is, and uh, man, I feel sorry for him, but yeah, he, he deserves what he's got. He, look what he did. You know, he spent his dad's money. He was mean. Uh, yeah, the, the sinners are saying, yeah, that, I mean, even for us, that's bad, right? And they're saying, these guys back here, they say, finally, the kid's going to get what he deserves. Finally, he's going to get that truth. He's going to get nailed. He's going to get so, people are so angry. This is so awesome because finally the story is going where I thought it should go along. So now the Pharisees take a step forward. Okay, they're, they're, now they're interested in what Jesus has to say. And listen to what the text says beginning at verse 17. Oh, actually, I need to back up and read the, the first part of that. Oh, nope, that's right. Yeah, verse, uh, verse, seven, uh, 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 verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, now he's in the pigsty, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he, will, so he got up and went to his father. Okay, two audiences. The audience down here, the sinners, the tax collectors are going, yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I, so many times I've been in a place to where I have recognized how sinful I am. My life is not working. That's why I'm here listening to Jesus, and I don't know what to do. And yeah, I know exactly what it's like. I don't deserve to be, uh, go back to my father. I don't deserve anything, but maybe if I go back, just maybe I'll have a place as a servant. I'll never be a son or a daughter, but maybe somehow I'll be a servant. So that's what these people are saying. The Pharisees are saying that's exactly what he deserves. And no, he doesn't, he shouldn't, his father shouldn't even let him be a servant. His father said, listen, you made your bed, you, you sleep in it, right? You, you, these are your consequences of your actions. You stay away from our house, we cut you off. Okay, you're no longer our son. That's what the Pharisees, that's what they should do, because you know what, that's what we did. When our kids misbehave, you know, we cut them off. You know, they don't get money anymore and stuff. And so, so, so there's, now there's this division between them. And then Jesus, so there's this kind of, they, they agree again. They agree. Okay, the kid's getting what he deserves. And then this next part is, oh man, this is incredible. Verse 17. But while he was still a long way off, the son, coming back to the father, his father saw him and was filled with anger. No, wait a second. That's not what it says. No, what is it? Um, his father saw him and was filled with hurt. No, 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 I'm sorry, I misread that again. Uh, his father saw him and was filled with bitterness. No, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. For him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. What kind of a father does that? No accountability. No rehab. He was living with prostitutes. Please don't tell mom. You know, all of this terrible stuff. All of this awful stuff. And the father is filled with compassion. This group up here, they are weeping. Thinking, is that possible for me? Is there... A some kind of a scenario? Is there some kind of a, a savior? Is there some kind of a Messiah that can love me like that? Is it possible? 
and they're wondering and they're weeping. These people back here are furious. What about accountability? What about rehab? What about making him suffer in his sin? What about that? And at this point, everybody's confused, including you right now. <laughs> confused. So what do we do? Is it truth or grace? Which is it? Is it just grace? Is it just truth? What is it? And so there's this tremendous confusion. And then the son gives a speech. Listen to the speech. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. These people know that because they've prayed that and felt that a thousand times. These people back here said, yeah, yeah, before you say you're sorry and all that, I want to see you have a successful rehab. Before you say all that, I want, to, I, want to, I want to give time to see how, whether or not you're really sincere about this repentance thing. That's what these people back here are saying. But listen to what he said. Uh, the son, uh, but while he was still a long way off, uh, that's compassion. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf to kill it. Let's have a great feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Celebrate what? Celebrate successful time in rehab? Celebrate that the kid paid the dad back? at least monthly payments of $50 a month. Somehow the son is going to pay back what he has done? No. They celebrate one thing. He's back. That's it. He's back. Now, the older son, <laughs> the Pharisees, right? The older son, he hears this noise going on in the main house. He's out in the field working hard to prove himself constantly. And um, a servant comes up and says, hey, older brother, um, guess what? What? Your younger brother's back. Really? <laughs> Does he look like a mess? Because I'll bet he is. Uh, did dad ream him? I mean, did he, what, did he, what happened? He said, well, it's kind of interesting what happened. I, I wasn't quite sure. The servant says, what happened is that the father uh, called for the, uh, the fatted calf and the older brother says, you mean the calf that was going to be used for my graduation or my wedding? That calf? Yeah, that's the calf, right? Yeah, you've got a goat now. And so the fatted calf, the ring, are you kidding me? The ring, the ring, right? And, and, and the rope, are you kidding me? All of this? Because he, he came, did he repent? Did he uh, go to rehab? Did he do the right thing? Did he get fixed? You know, what, what, what happened here? And and the servant said, hey, I don't know. I mean, they're just having fun. They're having, and, and your dad wants you to come and be part of the celebration. And, um, well, why? Well, because your brother is back. Listen to what it says in verse 31. The father comes out to the older son. The older son's really, really angry. My son, the father, said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. The older brother is furious. Why? How many of you know angry Christians? I mean, we all do. And being honest, there have been times in my life when I have been that guy. Um, condemning of people's behavior and activities. And here's the deal. Whenever you have this angry spirit towards the way people behave, you need to check your spirit. You need to check in with God and see where that's coming from. Because you have just crossed over into this realm of being the older brother, the Pharisees, the religious one who believes that somehow your behavior is acceptable to God and other people are not. And when you live in this realm, be very careful because what you think you're doing, you're holding yourself accountable to your sin, God just may ask you to be held accountable at the end of the world. Be very careful to be one of these people back here. So here we have this older brother that is furious. And he doesn't want any part of the party. So on one side of the house is the younger brother. He knows that he's a sinner. He's confessed it. He knows it. On the other side of the house is the older brother. He too knows that he's a sinner. So what's the deal? Why is there so much angry, anger and bitterness and all of this tension and all of the, What's wrong if everybody agrees he's a sinner? All, everybody agrees. What is the problem? Here's the problem. It's the way that Jesus defines sin and the sinner. Both of these groups have a problem and they're both wrong. Both of them think that their sin keeps them from God. Their sin is what the problem is. But here's the message of this story that's so powerful. The problem is not the sin or even the sinner. The problem is, are you near me? He said, son, you've always been close to me, he said to the older son. I don't always like the way that you're legalistic and you're a truth guy and you don't have any grace, but you're near me. And so I've always loved you. You've always been there. I'm so religious people, even though you're religious, I still love you. You're near me. And son, listen, your younger brother, it, the, the, all the stuff that's the sin and all that, that'll be dealt with. But listen, he is now home and he's near me as well. The message of this parable is not how to deal with sin. It's whether or not you're close to God. And you can be close to God if you're religious or if you're irreligious. If you think you're not a sinner and you are, or you know you're a sinner, God says, what matters is to be with me. With me. Not how good are you. Do you deserve anything? Because nobody deserved anything. But are you with me? It's about relationship. The Father, what an amazing picture of God. Yet we know that sin has a gotcha, and the kid experienced it in spades. Don't think for a moment that he didn't get his comeuppance. He did. <laughs> he sat in that pigsty. He got his comeuppance, and there was a gotcha to his sin. But the Father, but here, you've got to hear this. God is not mad at you because you sin. God is heartbroken because you're not near him. We, we get that so confused. We think it's about whether we behave or not. No, it's about proximity. It's about how near are you to God? Because Jesus said, I will draw near to you. You draw near to me. You take one tiny little step and I will rush toward you. It's about are you with me? Not about your behavior, but are you with me? Every 
Christmas Eve, we have our services here at the church, and we have uh, a lot of people that come on Christmas Eve, and as we do on Easter. And so we take those two, those two times, Christmas Eve service and Easter service, and we do our very best of sharing the good news of Christ's love with people that don't know that. And the, 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 the theme that we almost always use on Christmas Eve is the same theme, and it's this, welcome home. Welcome home. Some churches go like this. You're here on Christmas Eve, haven't seen you since last Easter, shame on you. How come you haven't come to church more regularly? How come you didn't give your time, your tithe? You know, for us, it's not, it's not about that. We think that this is being like Jesus. Welcome home. No condemnation. We're just glad to see you. You're in the house of God. Jesus is near. We love you. We have no condemnation for you for what you've been doing. We just love you, and, 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 and Jesus is near. Welcome home. He wants to be with, with you. Every time you uh, read this parable, I want you to hear those words. That the key to the whole parable, and this is what gets so missed so often, is not about whether the older brother is right or the younger brother is right. They're both wrong because both of them think it has to do with behavior. The younger brother does. He knows he's messed up. He thinks it has to do with behavior. I'll go back and be a servant. The older brother definitely thinks it has to do with behavior. He hasn't behaved right, and I have. And what Jesus is saying in these parables is the same thing. Lost things matter, and I don't get mad at lost things. Don't think that God gets mad at you because you're sinning. He, gets, he loves you. His heart is broken for you because you're lost and he goes out and he looks for you and he brings you home. That's the message of this amazing parable. So where does that leave you uh, this morning? Are you uh, in that crowd up front? Are you with Sherry and Dan and Jessica? <laughs> leaning forward to, yeah, I, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus has something for me today. I wonder if he has a word of grace and love and compassion for me. Or you are the religious people, you know, back here saying, you know what, you're just not behaving right. And until you behave like I, you think you should, I'm not going to be in your life. And the world, that wicked world out there, I'm going to hold up a sign, right? You saw in the paper last week, um, uh, you know, this thing that's going on in Kentucky uh, with the... Um, the woman who was supposed to give, uh, uh, you know, weddings, not certificates, but she was the registrar, and she was supposed to give the paperwork for same-sex marriages, for people, anybody that wants to get married, but for same-sex marriages, that was the law. She didn't do it. She said, I don't do it because I'm a Christian, and, and, and so, so my point is not her. I mean, she's following her conviction. I disagree with her, but she's following her conviction. So be it. Here's my, here's my point. Out, they had a picture of the people outside. They had two groups of people yelling at each other. And one guy held up a, son, he, a sign. He was on the Christian side, by the way. Christian, you notice I said not disciple. He's holding a sign. He says, God hates fags and they're all going to hell. What part of that is Jesus? What, what part of that communicates anything except Hatred. That's the problem in the last 1,700 years. We've tried to deliver the gospel with yelling and screaming and saying, you're bad. These people need to know that they are loved. They're loved by Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, don't be this guy. And don't be this guy. Be this person. Live in the grace and the power of Jesus, living your life fully because there's always a gotcha if you don't. 
and living fully in Christ's love and knowing that his love is ever secure and that he is as near as you taking one tiny step towards him. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, uh, this word is so remarkable. This way that Jesus taught is so profound. And I just pray, Lord, that um, our people today, every one of us here today, would be in that audience, that audience that is near Jesus, the sinners and the, and, and, and the tax collectors, pressing in, listening. Is there something for me here? Is there something for me? And here's what Jesus would say. Listen, welcome home. I want you near me. You're near me. I know you've sinned and you've had a gotcha and you've experienced brokenness. I know that. Listen, welcome home. And, and for those that are here this morning that are, are religious and believe that their behavior is what makes them okay with God, Father, may they understand what it means to be washed in your amazing grace because their works will never do it. Their behavior will never be good enough. May they be washed in your amazing grace. And Father, we just thank you. And I pray that every person in this room, as we leave today, that we will know your grace, we will know your love, and we will know that you are near. And it's about being with him, with Jesus, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Amen. amen.